1: Today, we'll be talking through new survey findings on students' views and experiences with peer counseling in college mental health. The survey was the result of a partnership between the Mary Christie Institute and Born This Way Foundation, a nonprofit organization founded by Lady Gaga and her mother, Cynthia Germanata, that is committed to supporting the wellness of young people and working with them to create a kinder and braver world. With us for that conversation today are leaders of those two organizations. We have MCI's President Zoe Raguzios, a return guest who is also the Executive Director of Counseling and Wellness Services at New York University, and Maya Anista-Smith, the Executive Director of Born This Way Foundation. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you so much for including us. So Zoe, I will begin by asking you to describe the key findings of the report, which I should also mention was conducted last fall in October and included responses from 2,000 undergraduate students.
0: Sure. There's numerous findings. I'm just going to talk about the ones that were most salient with me. The first is that lots of students are actually already using peer counseling and many are interested in doing so. So one in five college students already use peer counseling and of those who don't use it, 62% are interested in doing so. And it may stand to reason, but I'll say it anyway, that interest in peer counseling among students was higher since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Usage is higher among black, transgender, and first-generation college students who are particularly likely to say that it is very important to find a peer counselor with similar identities or life experiences as them. Also interesting is that if facing a serious mental health issue, students are most likely to first turn to a peer, like a friend or a romantic partner before other people in their lives, including their parents and campus staff. Interestingly, of those who provide the peer counseling, 45% say that they provide it to help others as their main motivation. Peer counselors score quite high on the flourishing scale indicating higher rates of well being and that many of those students who provide peer counseling have been provided with training, though, concerningly, 16% of peer counselors say they're unaware of an emergency protocol if they were worried about a peer safety.
1: Thank you so much, Zoe. And we'll drill down on some of those points later on. Generally speaking, a really optimistic picture of what's happening with peer counseling on college campuses with some important caveats. But I'll turn to you now, Maya. What interested you in this topic, and led you and the Born This Way Foundation to want to examine it further?
2: Thanks so much for that question, Dina, and for this partnership. I think even just listening to Zoe's comments underscores why we wanted to do this work together. She said over and over again, uh, "Students said, students reported, students told us." Right. So, Born This Way Foundation exists for and with young people, we've always been youth-led and research-led, and we believe that it's really important for us to understand how current circumstances have affected young people and the ways in which they're supporting themselves and one another. And as we've begun to dig into that research, one of the things that was really at the forefront of, of our findings was the work around peer counseling. And so we were excited to partner with Mary Christie Institute to dig into those findings and, and better understand what young people know. We we knew from our previous research as well, and young people continue to tell us as well, that they want skills to support one another, yet they often lack the resources and training. We found in a piece that we did entitled Youth Mental Health in America, Understanding Resource Availability and Preferences. In that piece, we found that 74% of young people in the U.S. surveyed indicated that they're interested in resources to support their friends' mental health. But only one in three young people said that they knew where to go for those resources. So a significant percentage of the generation lacks reliable access to mental health resources, and they want to be of support. So it's really the work of MCI and Born This Way Foundation to, to bridge that delta. And we really do believe, as I know that you do as well, that peer support is one of the main tools young people can and should use to support themselves. And it's important for us to understand how to better implement. And support young people on campuses.
1: Thanks so much, Maya. I really want to pick up on this one point that you mentioned, that students really want to help each other. We've seen that reflected in our data as well as in other research, that Gen Z is incredibly altruistic. Your entire career has been built around supporting young people and civic engagement. So I'm guessing that the idea that this generation of students are really motivated to help each other came as no surprise to you. Can you comment on that?
2: Absolutely. I'd love to. I am unendingly optimistic about this generation. I often consider myself a young person as well. But as my own children approach uh, the youth age, I realize every day that I am not. But I do have from having worked with young people for a couple of decades now that I believe there's something special about this generation. The millennial generation is the most diverse, most tech savvy, most collaborative, most hopeful generation. And I think all of those facets will increase and will delve even deeper in in what it means to be those things for this generation since it's such a core part. And so I'm really hopeful about that. And what we continue to see from young people is that even in the face of seemingly insurmountable obstacles, be they COVID or unemployment crises or climate change or the number of young people who are taking care financially of older family members or whatever the issue, Young people are really leaning into these traits that make them so unique. They're leaning into their collaboration. They're leaning into their idealism. They're leaning into their entrepreneurship. They're leaning into the tools that they have access to. And they're finding solutions, not only that work for themselves, but that work for all of us. And so it's really inspiring to me every day, this deep belief that they have and that I have for them and for us, that they will change the world. And so our work at the foundation is about leveraging every platform that we have access to in support of that. So I echo your comments, Dana, about feeling really hopeful after this report, but then also feeling really clear about the to-do list that young people are giving me and Mary Christie Institute and our partners and academic institutions around the country for how we can even better support them.
1: Definitely. And I love that outlook. It is really hopeful, especially during this time. So Zoe, this is going to be a two-part question for you. First, I'll ask you to respond to Maya's comment, because I have heard you say that you've seen students stepping up now more than ever in the face of the pandemic to help each other. So I'd like to hear more about what that looks like. How are they looking to help? And then I'd also ask you to comment on, generally speaking, your reactions to the data as a counseling center director and whether it changes the calculus for you in whether to bring or endorse a program on campus.
0: Sure. So it is absolutely true. And I totally agree with Maya that this generation of students wants. To be part of the solution, and in fact, will allow us to provide better solutions. They are not happy to just wait for us to fix the problems any longer. And I think you know we've all heard from one student or another that they've been disappointed by the quote grownups who were meant to sort of make their lives better in many ways, mental health only being one. And they are really looking to be part of the solutions and feel that they have enough to contribute to making those solutions better. And I think we agree with that. And then generally above all else for me the data that this survey provides is important because I think that the reason a counseling service should consider incorporating peer counseling above all else should be for the peer counselors themselves because it makes students who provided feel a sense of fulfillment and that they're making a difference in each other's lives. And so we need more students feeling that way. And if peer counseling can help to provide that for a set of students, then we really should be thinking about it seriously. The second reason that counseling service directors should be taking... peer counseling program seriously is that there is a set of students and the data will tell us that it's black or african-american students lgbtq students who might choose a peer over professionals either due to issues of stigma or because they think that they can find better representation among their peers and receive support from someone who looks like them and then finally it could potentially increase capacity and minimize the wait times for students to get help. So those are all the reasons that considering a peer counseling program is important. However, the decision about incorporating peer counseling is going to be individual to each institution. And there are a few issues that have to be carefully considered, including the one I mentioned earlier about peer counselors not being uniformly trained in emergency protocols, that's of concern. And the other idea that peer counseling programs can exist independently of campus counseling services, but they have to somehow be linked insofar as the training has to be uniform and the licensed professionals are probably the ones to provide that training. So at the end, introducing a peer counseling option for students could create more work for the counseling service. And in fact, if we do this right, a peer counseling program should result in more referrals into uh, the professional counseling services for the higher risk students. And so that's a consideration that I think that counseling service directors will need to take into account. And then the other issue that's very important is for the peer counselors to be trained on how to listen and support their peers Without this becoming a burden to their own psychological stability. Not everyone can do this. And someone, a supervisor of some kind, has to be advising the peers to continue to monitor this within themselves as they do this important work.
1: Thanks so much, Zoe. Maya, one of the things this survey found, as Zoe mentioned earlier, is that some groups in particular, Black, transgender, first-generation students are more interested in peer counseling and more likely to say that finding a peer counselor with a similar identity or life experience to them was important. Can you speak to the importance of that finding?
2: Absolutely. Uh, And I cannot underscore how important this finding is and and would like to broaden it a bit and just say that Culturally competent resources of all kind are essential, especially when we talk about cultivating and supporting youth mental wellness. At the foundation, we do recognize that it's not enough to just point out these findings across backgrounds and talk about them, but it's really important to understand and address the complexities of specific cultures and experiences as we help all young people navigate their mental health journeys and work to provide culturally competent approaches to mental well-being. At the foundation, we've um, hosted a number of virtual discussions on this very topic across our platforms that center and highlight these perspectives that we feel are too often left out in conversations around mental health. We call them the BTWF talks, and they're all archived on our YouTube channel. So I I absolutely agree, and I think that we need to look at the, the systems that feed in to the college counseling system. So I'm the proud daughter of a psychoanalyst, right? So how are we making mental health education accessible? How are we making these campus opportunities accessible? How is the training being presented? How can we build systems that are as inclusive as possible? And I think that's really important work that we should be investing in and supporting much more. So I appreciate this research. Uh, for pointing that out and starting conversations around this topic, because I don't think that we talk about it often enough. And I think I'm sure Zoe, in her role every day working with young people at the Counseling Center, also has some really incredible insights as well.
0: We're taking a quick break to thank the sponsor of this episode, Christy Campus Health, dedicated to supporting the mental health and well-being of college students.
1: I'd like to follow up with you, Zoe. Is that something that resonates with you, that finding that some groups are more interested, specifically students with historically marginalized identities? Are those students going to you more often to talk about peer counseling programs or peer support programs, group therapy? How do you see that playing out on the ground?
0: Sure. I mean, you know, counseling services do strive to ensure that the demographics of the professional counselors are representative of the student body they serve. But that being said, it, it is much more likely that peers will hold the salient identities that their friends and other students have, just by virtue of there being more of them. And again, when I say salient identities, I've, I of course mean their race and their culture and their sexual orientation. But I also mean their age. Right. So it's, we do hear from students sometimes that they think that another student would understand them just because their issue is developmental uh, and they believe a peer might just be more closely familiar with the kinds of issue that they're experiencing. So that is a familiar report from students. And the other thing is, there is a finding in there about students separating out their issues. Some they would go to a professional for and some they would go to a peer for. So I I think that students are quite thoughtful about to whom they would ask for support. And peers are squarely in the middle of that. And it's clear that they would go to a peer for even some of the more serious issues. So again, making sure that peers are adequately trained becomes really important.
1: Thanks, Zoe. And you mentioned this finding that students are turning to friends and partners more than other groups in the case of a mental health issue. And I want to get to some of the concerns about that and how we might address them. So I'll ask both of you, but Zoe, starting with you, Does that bring up any worries for you?
0: It brings up worries for me if students don't know what resources are available and how to refer to a licensed professional, regardless of what time it is. Because as we've discussed, students are using peers to listen to their problems, whether that's formalized in a peer counseling program, or whether that's just between a group of friends, you know, where one person has been sort of designated as the quote, good listener. This is going on between students, whether it's formalized or not. My concern is that if a university is planning to advertise a you know, formal peer counseling program, whether affiliated with the counseling service or not, those students need to be trained on how to make sure that any immediate risk, so somebody who brings up an urgent concern that really can't wait, and certainly the higher risk, even if they're not acute, concerns need to be addressed by the licensed professionals.
1: Thanks, Zoe. And I think one of those findings that you were mentioning earlier was that students reported that they would go to a peer counseling for a range of issues, including we had called them everyday issues like stress, social life, family issues, but also more serious diagnoses like anxiety, depression. And in fact, 21% said they would talk to a peer counselor around suicidal thoughts. So training is certainly important in that aspect. Maya, I'd like you to comment on Zoe's last point. About students turning to a friend or romantic partner and offering training writ large to a college campus.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree with Zoe on the importance that when someone is brave enough to share their truth or their struggles with you, it's so important that they're met with someone who knows how to support them, knows how to ask the hard questions, knows how to provide resources and access the support needed to to get that person through what they're going through. I also believe, and and just want to say for the folks listening, I, I'm really glad in these instances, and in any instance in which it happens, that they're turning to someone. And there's always sort of a, an equation for like best possible scenario, right? They turn to someone who's well versed in training and connects them with a the trusted adult and access resources and assess and security. But I think even just turning to someone in a time of need needs to be celebrated. And so I I just want to say that. But I also really believe that this further stresses the importance of making sure young people can differentiate between a friend who's seeking support and someone experiencing a mental health crisis and having the knowledge and confidence on how to seek support from a trusted adult. The foundation talks a lot about the resources that already exist. I think two of my favorites are BeThere.org, which was created by an incredible organization called Jack.org, and Teen Mental Health First Aid. So Teen Mental Health First Aid is an initiative that Born This Way Foundation worked on with the National Count- Council for Mental Wellbeing and it trains 10th through 12th graders on how to recognize signs of crisis, how to identify resources, how to connect their peers with those resources and provide the skills that they need to have supportive conversations with their friends. And so there are many resources that exist to support campuses in their endeavors to train both peer counselors and the student body at large. I've two young children. And when they were born, I learned how to do CPR and I learned how to do the Heimlich. But the reality of our world, especially on college campuses, is that oftentimes we might be more likely to meet someone in mental health distress than we are in physical distress. And we live in a culture where we don't talk about and prepare for that as much as we should. So that's part of why we were so excited about the teen mental health first aid, which we refer to as CPR for the brain. I think we need to normalize and popularize these conversations so that You know, if if it's almost like, you know, I role play with my nine year old about like what what happens if you're biking and someone rolls down their window and asks you to get in the car. Right. Another conversation should be what happens if you have a friend who and obviously in age appropriate ways. But what happens if your friend tells you they want to hurt themselves? Right. Because really, that's that's probably as likely as some of these other things we're talking about. And so how do we prepare our young people at whatever age they are to not be afraid of these conversations, to really educate themselves and to understand the opportunity and obligation that they have to be there for a loved one? I I think that really can never be underestimated.
1: That is so true. And all of this is on a spectrum, right? So young people and students should know where to turn in the case of a serious crisis. Zoe, I think I've heard you say Keep
0: telling someone until... keep telling someone until someone helps you. Yes, thank you. It might not necessarily be the first person you tell, but to Maya's point, and the data shows that that person could be a peer. And so it's really important that us all young people and certainly students who wish to take a leadership role know how to respond if somebody comes to you with a mental health concern.
1: Certainly. And Zoe, I've also heard you say, and actually I've heard this from multiple counseling center directors, that not every student who walks through the door of the counseling center, or I guess I should say call or whatever makes an appointment online these days needs a mental health counselor. Some people really do just need someone to hear their concerns in a compassionate way.
0: That's true. And so this is why, you know, training is important for every member of a college campus, right? So from the faculty to the peers to the students who don't wish to take a leadership role in this area, but who will always encounter another friend or somebody who might be talking, Talking about this, certainly public safety or other units that are student facing, you know, everybody needs to know at the very least how to respond to an urgent issue and how to get somebody else involved who can take on the matter after they've initially intervened. Thanks so much.
1: And I will just close with any last comments from both of you. Why don't we start with you,
0: Zoe? I did want to talk really quickly about the data point that the peer counselors report a higher sense of well being. I think that is an important thing to stress because we all know that helping other people feels good. And when we feel good, we have a higher sense of well being, which makes us have the capacity to continue to help other people people. So there's a cause and effect here that's really important. And we also know that whether it's in peer counseling or volunteering on campus or in the local community, students who do this, who volunteer or who assist others or who build the altruism muscle, feel more connected with their institutions. And ultimately, it makes them do better academically. So not only does the data tell us that students are doing this work for the right reasons, but we know this makes good sense for them to keep doing. And so it's up to us to allow them the forum to do that in the safest way and most fulfilling way possible.
1: Great. Thanks so much. And Maya, any last thoughts from you? Absolutely.
2: I would be remiss if I didn't mention the word kindness in this conversation. I have a tattoo reminding myself to be kind on my wrist and it's the work that we set out to do every day at the foundation. And I think to Zoe's point, the decision to to serve your community and your peers and be a peer counselor is one of tremendous kindness. I think the brave decision to seek help is one of tremendous kindness to yourself and to your loved ones. I think for administrators and campuses who are looking for ways to normalize and increase accessibility to these conversations, that's one of kindness and it all matters. Kindness is not the answer to a mental health crisis, but it is a part of the proactive and protective measures that we can take. To soften the inevitable blows that life is going to deal us. And I think we don't talk enough about kindness to ourselves and to each other. And the other thing I'll say, and and this is, again, from having the experience of, of being a daughter of a psychoanalyst, and I would always practice these conversations. In low risk situations, right? I would literally look in the mirror when I was in high school and practice saying, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Right? Because I had a a couple of friends who self-harmed. And before I had those high risk, in my mind, conversations with them in person, I would practice so that I was comfortable, so that I didn't stutter, so that I knew the resources to suggest to them if they answered yes. And so I think mental health is something that we can practice. It's a it's a muscle and it's something that we can put to use. If my story of of that practice and and saying that into a mirror and what I'll invite my kids to do as well helps anyone just take that step out of their discomfort on conversations on this topic, then it'll have been worth sharing. But I'm, I'm grateful to Zoe and to the incredible team at the Mary Christie Institute and and to Dana for including me and, and our team at Born This Way Foundation in this project and in this conversation.
1: Thanks so much. We are so grateful to you and your team as well. And thank you both so much for being here today. I'd like to just close By saying that the report that we've discussed today is posted on both born this way foundations website and Mary Christie's website as well. And the webinar that had an incredible panel earlier today discussing these data points and putting them in context of college life is posted on the Born This Way Foundation's YouTube. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. It was an incredible conversation. And that's all I have for today. Thank you guys both so
0: much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dana. This has been the Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs like the MC feed and the Mary Christie quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.